Podcast. Happy New Year, ladies. The Happy first of the New decade. <laughs> yes. I can't believe I'm seeing your faces again. Hi. I know. Hi. I know it has it has felt like actually like a long time. What are we yeah. gonna joke about now? Now that <laughs> no. Parliament is relatively a bit boring. Yeah. Well, not boring, but it's normal That's now. Normal. Yeah. We should apologize though that we were supposed to record two weeks ago, but I was knocked out by the flu. So oh, I'm sure a lot right. of our listeners are probably. Had the flu. Yeah. I'm sure people needed some time off to just not do politics for a while. Yeah. But we're back. Mm. How are you feeling? Uh, You know. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, the silence. Actually, before we even get into that, we're so, as you can tell, we're so excited to be here and just jump straight into it. But this is the Consensus Podcast. And my name is Aziz Minot and I'm representing the Greens. I'm Tosin Adedaya representing the Conservatives. Des Ibequer, representing the Labour Party. Um, Julia Ogieha, representing the Liberal Democrats. Oh, wait, should we say representing? I guess we're supporting. Repping. We're not speaking on behalf of the parties, we should say. Oh, right. In case there's anybody right. listening to this. We're no. not speaking, we're not party spokespeople, but we're just supporters. Supporters, yeah. Yes. But what and would you say? Don't be sending us no letters from your lawyers. <laughs> like, we didn't ask. But what we do say is from our party's perspective. Yes. Yeah. yeah, or the perspective of one person from one part of the party. Yeah, exactly. We've been very yeah. I'm <laughs> really, one person who lives in Newham who like who was born in represent everyone's views. <laughs> Just add allegedly to everything. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the first of our Tuesday group um, sessions, and we are coming straight back to basics. I'm going to break down what that means in a second, but if you want to follow us on Twitter. Follow us on at the underscore consensus underscore. And we're also on Instagram with the underscore consensus underscore. Using hashtags such as hashtag consensus podcast, hashtag consensus podcast, B2B. We are back to basics. And obviously you can hear us on all different platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Acast. So if you um, don't have one of those, make sure you just check out another platform. Well, to if come they don't have to one us. of them, then how are they listening it's, to us? It's <laughs> obviously it's almost like knocking on death's door. How old I'm do sorry. I? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. What, what is Spotify? <laughs> what is Spotify? Wait, you're in a really giggly Spotify. mood. Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> I love it. So what is this back to basics podcast that I keep mentioning? We are basically going to talk about parliament. Parliament in its form, in its structure, in its in its everything, basically. And I think essentially I've said basically three times. So you're really going to understand the basics <laughs> of, par- of parliament. And I think this is really poignant for people who don't know much about parliament, don't know much about politics and always feels like it's a bit stale and not really sure how it all works, how the big building works. And so we're going to kind of break it down in this, but also have a really frank discussion about what we think about the different elements of parliament as well and whether it should still exist or yeah. should move. To also remind of remind us of what parliament actually does for the past three years. It's just been Brexit dominated and Brexit focused and it hasn't necessarily um, 
follow the normal structures. Um, so I think it's helpful for us to actually remind ourselves what's going to be happening now that we have a relatively somewhat... Um, I wondered how long it would take for someone government. to mention the B word. Yeah. Either right. there three times in a row. Well, we're meant to be leaving hey. next week, so, oh, so, so we probably should mention it. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? The Big Ben Bing Bong? Oh, yeah, ba- Bang a Bob for Big Ben's Bong or something. Yeah, Bang a Bob. How do you come off with that off the dome? Like, <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. £500,000. Okay, you are definitely going to have to explain what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, yes. Right. Um, so this was, I think, over the weekend, Boris Johnson was, or some Conservative um, Brexiteers have been trying to um, crowdfund for some money to uh, make sure that Big Ben chimes on so-called Brexit Day, which is the 31st of January. Um, And so far, I think they've raised £500,000 to do that. So... Don't know what you guys think, but... Uh, but apparently they can't even use that money because of parliamentary rules, which we're going to talk about. Well, well yeah, I guess it's better than the pers- silly idea of having all the church bells in the country ring at, at once. Time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what, what kind of... Like, how can you bring the church into it? There's obviously clearly some people who did not want this to happen. Anyway, this is going to go um, off a tangent. Leave God out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cool. So Parliament, let's just give you a bit of an intro. So in the UK, we have three different strands of what we call our state. We have the legislature, the executive and the judiciary. So these institutions are basically three different arms of the country that have their own powers and they have their own functions, which may mean that they're independent. So the legislature refers to parliament and the executive specifically refers to government. So when we're talking about government, we're talking about the party that holds office and it could be multiple parties, etc. But it's the that party and all of the ministerial um, offices that hold government to working essentially. But essentially we're talking this time about parliament, which is the whole thing which encompasses that. Um, and so, yeah, if we want to break that down a little bit more, what is parliament how does that even break down this Can is I... kind of like sorry because i did law oh, <laughs> oh my god oh, same like, the first thing you learn about the the one of the first topics except for access rays and oh, yeah. what's the yeah. mental one? men's rail men's rail you learn about the, well, the separations yeah. of power when you learn about the judiciary and the constitution and like you said parliament is a legislation legislature which is essentially where every mp is elected by mm-hmm. the people to represent their voice in parliament and their function is to put forward legislations and the laws as we know it. The government could also do that. So the government are those that execute mm-hmm. laws and legislation and what have you. And then we also have the judiciary, which is essentially the court. They interpret the laws that mm-hmm. have been passed in parliament. Um, so when I switched from law to politics, it was always like, well, and I know how you interpret the law. Mm-hmm. How do you make, make the, the law, law that yeah. the judges and the courts interpret? And I think for me, that is possibly the easiest way without talking too much that you can explain that. Of course, there are many different strands mm. to what that means, you know, in detail. But for the purpose of this podcast, yeah, I think that's right. what it is. And in yeah. terms of the makeup of Parliament, there are, what, 650 MPs, MPs 
Hall represents 650 constituencies in United Kingdom, mm. and that includes Northern Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Mm -hmm. And those constituency boundaries mm -hmm. are decided by like Parliament, i.e. Yeah. the MPs. So the boundaries can change. Yeah. And we already looked at the changes. That's a whole different topic. Yeah. And each MP is elected by the constituents of each constituency in the 650 constituencies. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they form different parties. And that's how you have MPs in the House of Commons. So, um, yeah, that was a really good explanation. Mm. Um, I thought I'd just add to it as well that actually... Parliament is kind of in three strands. Um, so you've got the sovereign, which is where the Queen comes in. The UK has oh a unique God, yeah, um, yeah. has a unique <laughs> which is system. The House of Lords, though, no? no, so you've got yeah. the sovereign, and then we are bicameral um legislature. So we have two parts mm. of um which we call houses, which we call it, but in other um political systems, they probably call them assemblies. Um, and I think in, in America it's called the House of Rep and the mm. Senate. So I guess in the UK, our Senate is the House of Lords. Mm. So these are people who are not um, elected directly by members of the public. So they are, I guess, there are two types of lords. So we have the Lord Spiritual, which are bishops, and they um, from the Church of England. Like I think that they are um, appointed by members from the Church of England to sit in Parliament. And then they're the Lords Temporal. So these are a mixture of... 92 hereditary peers. So these are people um, who are members of the House of Lords, either by birth, maybe they have a royal lineage in them, in their in their family line, or, or they um, have been elected by members of the House of Lords themselves. And this came as a result of the House of Lords reform done under Tony Blair. Don't want to go into too much, too much <laughs> detail about it. And then the rest of the members of the House of Lords are um, appointed by um, government and opposition parties when they leave um, after a parliament. So, for example, after this parliament, the last parliament um, ended before the election, the prime minister had put forward um, some names um, of people that they wanted to see appointed in the House of Lords. And also the opposition is allowed to do the same. So this is how John Burko is getting into the House of Lords because he's been um, appointed and nominated by um, Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn. Um, and then, yes, and then, and then of course we have the House of Lords and we have the House of Commons, which is... Technically more powerful because they are um, elected and they're, they're democratically elected um, representatives. So, um, but it doesn't mean that the House of Lords isn't important. Mm -hmm. um, they do play a significant role in the scrutiny of um, bills that government puts forward because they have a lot of time to do that. And a lot of them are actually experienced. So yeah. some of them are former lawyers, former Queen um, QCs. Some, some of them, them are business... the host of Appre the host of Apprentice. Apprentice, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, but they're also a mixture of people. So we have people like Baroness, Baroness Lawrence, who was Stephen Lawrence's, uh, who's Stephen Lawrence's mother. Um, she's in the House of Lords. Um, and, and we also have the owner of The Big Issue as well. So yes. that just shows the, yeah. the, the breath. breath. Yeah. The yeah. yeah, and that's why it's looked at as a sort of um, esteemed as a sort of wise counsel to government, mm. and actually, um, it's, they played a pivotal role during during it's the Brexit debate. Good checks yeah. and balance mm -hmm. on sort of the House of Commons. But you're mm -hmm. right, the House of Commons is more powerful in that the whole thing called a Henry VIII clause, mm -hmm. which basically just means because obviously MP are elected, 
particularly for government, they are elected based on they've they've been given a mandate mm-hmm. and they become informed government mm-hmm. based on what they have pledged or yeah. said. So if a government decided to put into legislation what they have committed to in their manifesto, mm-hmm. House of Lords, Lords cannot, cannot yeah. through their scrutiny, significantly change that, mm-hmm. that the principle of what that commitment to that manifesto said is so completely different. And therefore, the House of Commons can exercise that here in the eighth clause to say, mm-hmm. actually, this is what we're mandated to do in the House of Commons. And therefore, we're going to ignore yeah. You. And essentially that comes about because they're given the power by the people. And right, as you yeah. rightly pointed out, like all of us have the right to vote for these people mm-hmm. at election time, which therefore their responsibility is to carry that mandate, that yeah. that anchor, that policy that we have voted for through. Um, cool. Thanks. Ladies. I just wanted to say, because we were talking about Berko. Mm. Yeah. This is the first, isn't it like the first speaker? In a hundred two hundred and thirty years, yeah, to not have been appointed by the government, maybe he shouldn't have been so political then. Order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, um, just a quick thing as well. So, um, so I think Julia, you mentioned that the, the fact that we have a judiciary arm and the mm. Supreme Court, um, but that never used to be. Um, I think it was is it two thousand and nine that the Supreme Court was established. Am, that, am yeah, that's wrong? when that's when they officially like. Yeah, got, like left the lords. Yeah, yeah. So the Supreme Court was actually what well, they call them the law lords. Were mm. actually based in the House of Lords, and um, I don't know about you guys, but I think that I kind of prefer it to be at separate. separate. Arms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I think the fact that there's a lot of things that um, happens in British, like in British institutions, that don't really make sense, and the law lords is one of those things that <laughs> like people like it just existed for hundreds of years, and it's like why should the law lords vote, and why should the law lords be like situated? so closely to the government um and it just made sense i feel to like they, they them move out. them across parliament like it finally actually made sense to have because obviously even though we have the supreme court the judiciary has always been an independent separation of power so actually by moving sense, them yeah. out it finally does what our is it our constitution or yeah, it's our supposed, unqualified uh, constitution. Our, you know, unwritten constitution is supposed to do, which yeah. is yeah, yeah. free separation of and it, yeah, arms and it's, of... It definitely gave them like a little, sorry, yeah. it gave them a little facelift as well because I feel like when you have, like them being part of the laws, it was kind of, it's kind of hard for people to distinguish like what mm-hmm. what's going on. So like if they have their own building and they're called the Supreme Court, which is like a sexy like kind of like <laughs> American, like, oh, the Supreme Court? Like, <laughs> um, I feel like it ended a lot for their like... Dude, I don't think anyone thinks... Supreme Court. <laughs> <Is it? laughs> but you. Go off, Baroness Hale, like <laughs> queen. Right wear that spider brooch. <laughs> Sorry, just um, revealed a lot about myself. Then. Yeah, Supreme um, <laughs> Court is sexy. Wow, I think that's that is the energy I'm taking into 2020. <laughs> cool. So now you have like outlined exactly what Parliament is and the different separations of power. What is Parliament like? What is the role of Parliament to actually do? This is a very good question Uh, They make laws Make laws, yeah I think that's the simplest way to say it They they make laws And they decide the law of the land And they debate it And um, They scrutinise government as well And ensure that government are um, 
are in check, basically. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we could see that, that. And that really worked. That was really effective um, during the Brexit process, where actually they were able to make government, they, they were instrumental in shaping um, Brexit until, like, you know, the election and now we have majority and all that went down. The but anyway, <laughs> well, the point is that they, they can be very... <laughs> Um, they're effective in, in keeping government to account. Yeah. Um, and they do this through various parliamentary tools, such as, for example, we have urgent questions. So where there's something that is important that has gone on in in society, or for example, after um, the so-called World War Three, MPs were able to say, actually, we want, we demand someone from government to come and speak to us and keep us, tell us what's going on and what we need to know. Um, and that, you know, that's a very, very crucial part of government mm. and uh, sorry, of parliament. Mm. That's a really good example. Uh, and another thing that they do, which a lot of people can relate to, which you guys always do in this group. Debate, yeah. Is debate and it's <laughs> in um, PMQs, which is question time, um, prime minister's question time, which happens like once every week. And all the backbenchers, so all the MPs that don't sit on the front and have like a particular title are able to ask the prime minister specific questions for half an hour so when you actually now you, half an hour since the music yeah. is coming that's it efficiency oh. so Lindsay Hoyle <laughs> order yes <laughs> it's um, still an efficient speaker um, what else and also as well like represent their constituents that's it mm. you know they're the ones that will take a particular issue and raise it with the government and demand a response, you know. And sometimes it's very specific to that specific area. Mm-hmm. Sometimes and the name drop the people as well. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what, that My was what constituent, uh, David Hall, said <laughs> blah, 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 blah. My yeah. constituent, Becky, yeah. has had her hair falling out yeah. and wasn't able to get a doctor's appointment yeah. while her hair is falling out. Do you know what? I have a very good <laughs> example of that. And, and uh, so there was... Alberto Costa, he's a Conservative MP. He had a constituent who had this is this just shows you how important Parliament is for our daily life. He had a constituent who had uh, lip fillers and they were botched and they weren't really wrong. Mm. And she felt like she didn't know what to do. There was no one to help her, so she went to her MP and told him. And then he raised this this um, issue in Parliament about the need for cosmetic regulations. And from that, actually, it started a campaign um, with amongst the backbenchers. And now there's an APPG looking at specifically around cosmetic regulations so that's amazing yeah and it it just shows you how important it is to engage with your mp and that they're here for you essentially um Mm. and to put forward your views so the most recent one that everyone would know is the obscuring bill as well Mm. because obviously that came from yeah this lady who someone took a photo in at a festival yeah raised it with an mp and now it's actually law yeah by that campaign so actually yeah you know beyond brexit they did do quite a lot Okay, so you just actually mentioned something that was really interesting, which was about um, the bill. And so do we want to quickly talk about the different types of bills that we have? Because a lot of people don't know that all, even though that, you know, this parliament can make law, there actually is different types of bills. So just to quickly give you a headline, we have what we call a public bill, a private bill and a hybrid bill. So the public bill essentially are bills that are made for the public, that are for public interest. And private bills are brought forward by lobbying groups who kind of are there to work to encourage MPs to want to change things that suit a particular industry or particular sector Mm -hmm. um, specifically. Yeah. And that's essentially it. Like 
two or three different types of bills. Those two are the main, the most common ones, right? Like hybrid bill. I haven't heard of them that often. No, yeah, no. But it is it is something that, and essentially, a hybrid bill would be a bill that represents both the people and the private yeah. sector and, as well. Yeah, and that has a national significance. So, for example, HS two, um, <laughs> looking at actually they. So that has been going on for a very, very long time. So essentially, they're hearing from constituents who have an issue. Yeah. Um, they're hearing from um, businesses and organisations who might be affected by this um, this new piece of infrastructure so um hybrid bills tend to work best for um quite quite big pieces of national um mm. importance um so yeah. big infrastructure so for example as well um the um Heathrow mm. was okay. one example of that as well which mm-hmm. that's been going for years and finally um that got passed that is quite complicated but yes that's sort of another example of you know, yeah. a hybrid bill. But all bills go through the same process, you know. So, for example, you know, a bill doesn't just come out of thin air. Um, There's usually what you call a green paper, which is essentially just a policy, not a policy document, just like an idea. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we think we want to do. And therefore, you collate thoughts and what you think about it and that responses then inform the next phase which is then the white paper Mm -hmm. which then fleshes out a little bit more then that goes out to consultation no no the green paper goes out to consultation then the white paper is like more this is what we found from it and then that turns into a bill for it to then go through its parliamentary process Mm -hmm. which I'd already talked about in one of our when we talk about the Brexit bill but Mm. we can refresh Um, there's one more bill it's on. one more type of bill, private members' bills. Oh, yeah. oh, so yeah. this is one way for you, if you have a particular um, idea around a bill that you'd like to see government put forward or you'd like to see parliament approve, you can contact your MP. So this, essentially, all MPs are um, allowed to put their names in a hat and then they're picked out by, um, I think, the speaker's... Clark, the, clerks, the clerks. clerks of the house and then this means that these MPs have can put forward their own bill so if there's a particular issue that they think government are not acting quick enough on so an example of that was there was a private members bill put forward by the then Irith and Thamesmid MP Theresa Pierce on um on ensuring that every child has first aid training mm. um that didn't go through but it was a way to raise awareness of the issue and it's later on government actually yeah. um wasn't there like a, it wasn't um I, I don't know if i'm bugging because like i remember learning this in i can't remember so i think it was game the gay marriage bill wasn't that first put forward as a private members bill something like some social justice yeah, there would have been and brexit was put forward by, by a private yeah. yeah and there was at one point with different bills going mm-hmm. through private and government bill mm-hmm. um possibly because there'll be a lot of bills that would have been put forward by different means mm. and then eventually yeah. something catches yeah but when mps put their name in for the ballot and is getting picked this is where you see lobbyists watching Hi. Which MP has been like that picked, when you um, which MP's <laughs> ballot has gone through and which of the private member's bill. And then as soon as like lobbyists, I say this as a lobby, lobbyist, as soon as we have a list of that MP, lobbyists are getting, you know, through to them to say, have you considered doing a bill on X, Y and Z? Usually 
private member bills are usually heard on a Friday mm-hmm. and they don't tend to go through. But it does raise that issue. It gives mm-hmm. an opportunity to debate it. They usually get to second reading, which is mm-hmm. when you dis- discuss, debate the principle of a bill. And sometimes the government does will listen or come in to respond to the debates. And before you know it, they might actually take it off and then put put it back again as a mm-hmm. government bill. bill. Yeah. Um, so it may not succeed. They never, they rarely make it past second bill. Yeah. But second it is reading. a really good yeah. way. Um, did I say second bill? Yeah, second, second reading. reading. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. They rarely make it past second reading, but it is a good, a very effective way of getting the government to respond specifically mm-hmm. to an issue and therefore they then considering it as a right. government bill. And then take it forward. So just to make sure that everyone is still engaged in this conversation, you can use hashtag consensus podcast on um, Twitter and Instagram. And Twitter is at the underscore consensus underscore. And Instagram is the underscore consensus underscore. So ladies, quick random question. Sorry, I know I'm just putting you on the spot. Mm. But also this is a question to our listeners as well. If you had the opportunity or inclination and the passion for a particular issue to, and wanted to lobby your MP to put it through as a private member's bill, what would the issue be? Don't look at me. I don't know why you're looking at me. I'm I looking at everyone. Had to, what would the issue be? Yeah. What would oh the my issue God. Be? I feel like I'm Miss World. It's like, well. Um, <laughs> mine would have been around um, period poverty. Yeah. But... Then they this put, week that yeah it's all secondary schools yeah, now yeah. have but but actually you know what why do okay this is gonna sound really left but why do we have to why do women have to pay for pads like we didn't ask for this I know I agree it's one of like <laughs> so you yeah. don't want to give it to us for free I'm quite happy with that to be honest it's kind of like when I so used to I used to actually like I had a campaign about this when I was in university a period poverty campaign and I was just like no genuinely and then I was like well we get when you walk into a toilet like you're not like oh I hope I have my toilet roll like do you know what I mean like it's true you know like it, it doesn't make any sense and I think it's like it's gendered and it's also so like awful, yeah, but you know, so we'll make it make us right. Wicked, thanks. Nice off the cuff. Julia does can think of anything. I can't, you know. Do you know what? It would be for us to change the way in which we treat the services we provide to refugees and migrants in this country in terms of housing, how they access services like welfare and things like that mm. so it's just it's a minefield right yeah and people don't understand where they can go and get help so if we can maybe make it a law that every sort of new person um or a refugee or asylum seeker whatever that do come into this country mm. they can go to one point and have all of the issues sorted it does we don't we can't depend on volunteers mm. and have different local authorities giving different levels of services yeah um standardized service for all migrants refugees mm. i'm sure there's already that. something already out there but that's what we do yeah wicked and get rid of facial recognition come on <laughs> come on um i i genuinely can't think of anything other than like um the bme attainment gap i think in universities i think that would be It'd be mm. great to have more radical action on that, mm. um, but I can't. I, I'm sure there's so no, like more tra- transparency, or um, I think like a collective action to try and like one like pinpoint once and for all like what the reasons are and actually take like active steps mm-hmm. towards it um, and make that like a holistic thing rather than just like what can we do at the university level and just kind of take it like to schools 
and seeing like where, where the issues are and where the snags are and stuff. Um, so that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, yeah no, that's dope. That's that's really cool. I think my one would be around the education curriculum. Obviously, I have a passion. Girl. She's already prepared. And she's <laughs> no, do you know what? I haven't. Like, I genuinely she's like haven't. She's like, what? This is my bill here. This is my white, my green paper. <laughs> I'm screaming. Hey, Why is we know you it's already, 20, you know it's 2020. You drafted the green paper that you want to consult so on. How can you be coming it. for me in 2020? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually because we were there. I'm in an hour and you're like, well, yeah, you education curriculum. <laughs> do you know how many things went through my mind exactly when you thought I was like mm, I want to say something about period mm-hmm. oh yes I want to talk about the cherry da, da, da. Mm-hmm. no guys I just thought about it I was like do you know what if I were to make look I run a business okay it's okay on this it's exact okay. situation no, 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 it's okay yeah. <laughs> where's your green paper yeah. we you know you've got it somewhere where's your public <laughs> consultation huh? It's not there, guys. <laughs> All right, tell us, tell us what it, it is. It would be about, um, it would be about, <laughs> sorry, I've started. <laughs> it's 2020. I'm trying to live a, take a new leaf. Take a new leaf, yeah. My cheeks are so high. <clears throat> yeah, so I think mine would be about the education system and the curriculum and it not supporting people to develop um their cognitive skills that they need to get on in life like emotional intelligence resilience etc like making the curriculum talk about life skills that people need mm-hmm. that makes sense because it relates to my business yeah. Yeah. anyway okay. let me just you didn't think about my that paper. before i didn't i didn't it was, it was off the cuff guys i was yeah, loving right, the conversation right. cool so we spoke about like different ways in which um you can scrutinize the work of the government. And we also spoke about the ways in which you can make law. But I guess we should probably talk about whether we think parliament is currently effective in its pomp and glory of commons and the House of Lords. I know you we were mentioning about House of Lords and what it actually does. Um, but yeah, do we think that it should still exist as it is in its current form? Does there need to be reform? I mean, I'm a Lib Dem. I think we should get rid of the House of Laws. But as we still have it, um, we are going to populate it and see if we can make changes to laws that way. Um, It it serves its purpose. Mm. And what I don't agree with is that they are not elected. Um... And also the fact that obviously you had all the scandals a few years back in yeah. that they just turned for five minutes to get allowances. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be allowed. And it's also a way in which, for example, the people in Richmond Park obviously did not want Zach Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. They went for a Lib Dem. Whoop, whoop. But here we have him still being part of a government by being appointed to the House of Lords. Um, Wait, let's just quickly go back. Let's just let's just give the listeners, just in case they don't know about this particular situation, the backstory. Oh God, where do I start? So he was vehemently against um, Heathrow expansion. So because of that, he'd quit. Um, did he quit the government or did he just quit as a Tory MP? He, yeah, no, he went for a triggered re-election, a by-election, by-election in the constituency. Which we won, which then the Lib Dems won, um, because obviously it is in a constituents where they're directly under the Heathrow flight path and mm-hmm. his constituents were really against it. So he lost. In 2017. And then 2017. That was we, when he lost. That's yeah. when he lost. 
Mm, no, mm-hmm. it was yeah, it's a by-election, yeah, and then yeah. the election in 2017, mm-hmm. he won it. He then said he was going to stand. He became an independent. Yeah. So no, he lost as an independent because he quit the Tory whip. Then he then stood again under the Tories after he said he wasn't going oh. back. Then he won by 45 votes. I think I'm getting my facts wrong. Did he stand as an independent then? I don't I don't think so. I think he just said that if he if the government, if the Conservative Party were going to push for Heathrow um expansion, that he would trigger um a, he would trigger a by-election. Which he did. Which he, yeah, which he did. He held on to he upheld his um And then position. he stood as an independent and lost. Then no, I think then he stood as London Mayor. I feel like we're going into two we'll different right. London, 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 London Mayor. No, he stood as an independent and lost. Then stood as London Mayor. Then lost. <laughs> then then stood again in 2017 mm-hmm. as a Tory MP after mm-hmm. he said he wasn't going to, and the government's position on Bre- um, Heathrow has not mm-hmm. changed. But then he won. Then he won by 45 votes. You keep saying 45 votes, like. He, he still won. He won by 45 votes. And then in this last election last year, <laughs> in 2019 December, he lost again. Um, and then after he'd lost, he was uh, then got appointed to the House of Lords so that he could become an environment mi- junior yeah, so minister. Yeah, so he was already uh, an invi- He was already junior minister in the Department for Environment, mm. and so yeah. So when he was appointed, he was um, reappointed as that minister. As yeah, well. so that he can carry on that role. So the public, the people, did not want him, but here he is again, still in government. Well, a junior member of government, but and then. That is where that highlights the problem mm. with the House of Lords. Same, um, I think also. Sorry, with um, it's not the same situation. But Nikki Morgan got got just you know left, um, and then um, is now the digital. Wait, wait she's, she's secretary a, of state for DCMS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. culture. Um, so that also happened. Um, well, I think the current the House of Lords works <coughs> in its current form. I mean. We saw that where Parliament was significantly weakened, where we had a significantly weakened opposition, one might argue, mm-hmm. um, in the Labour Party, um, that the House of Lords actually stood up and and stepped up, and they did scrutinise um, the government's agenda on 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 Brexit and the government's position on that. Um, I I think we do need a House of Lords, as we talked about at the start. It's full of people with vast and extensive experience some of them are former um you know former secretaries of states um business people 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 that we probably would not get in in the house of commons so these are people who could be earning loads more money outside of of politics but actually have decided to devote a portion of their time to um to being part of the legislative um, to shape in legislature, so I do. I do think it works. And whilst I understand the um, the, the criticisms um, put forward around Zach Goldsmith and Nikki Morgan, I do feel like they're probably placeholders. And it was, I think, for this for this um, current situation, I think they are essentially placeholders because we expected yeah, a reshuffle mean, and they but, really carried on the work. So yeah, I mean, like, but doesn't that like kind of exemplify how the system can be used no because you have you have members of the house of lords who are ministers anyway so you do have members of the house of lords who who represent the government in the house of lords yeah no so they so they are ministers yeah i think so this isn't necessarily unique 
Sure, but like uh, I think in in Zach Goldsmith's situation, it could show like even if he is a placeholder, that's that particular situation where someone has lost their seat. Yeah, and they can be put in. They can. Still but does it mean of... that he doesn't have the experience, or he, no, not, he not, isn't up to the task? No, not. And, and that, that's what, what I'm saying is that it's not just. It can't. It, the Zach Goldsmith situation is just emblematic. Like if someone else didn't have his experience, that like, it could still be used in that way. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to yes, say? Yes, yes. But I'm, I guess my point is that they are also members of the House of Lords who are ministers. So they, they, we just, just by virtue of the way that our system works, you need somebody in the House of Lords to represent the government on a particular... Sure. Okay. So, so they do exist. So they yeah, are members. Yeah, yeah, so somebody, they don't have to have an experience in Parliament, for example, and they could be elected to the House of Lords and they could be a minister. So that But that I think what this is trying to say is that it is open to corruption... So mm-hmm. the point isn't that House of Lords can be ministers. Of course they can be. I mean, a lot of them are. But the point is, the whole purpose of, you know, what how the parli- how Parliament <clears throat> works is that you're, you know, House of Commons, you're elected in. But then if you've been rejected by the people, you're almost giving two fingers up to those people that rejected a particular person mm-hmm. by then appointing them into the House of Lords. And whether you put them in government or not, they're still in a position to scrutinise legislation, yeah. even though they were specifically, that person was specifically rejected. So whilst the House of Laws does serve its purpose, and yes, the system we have does appoint them, it can still be open to abuse in that it's a no, way to circumvent yeah, I don't think democracy that, in that sense. Yeah, I don't think losing an election uh, makes you unqualified to have a say in politics. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that because he lost an election does not mean that yeah, he's not. I, I get your point, but at the same time, we can't hide the fact that people he would not have been in the position that he's in now if he didn't know who he knew. So as much as he may have knowledge, there's probably hundreds and thousands of other people who are not close to government officials, who don't have relationships with um, people within the parliament at such a senior level that could afford them to have that position in society, which, as we've pointed out already, this is a, a lifelong peerage. So it will last the length of their lifetime. Mm-hmm. So we have no choice ever again to say whether we want this person or not. And I think that is to the to the core, the issue with the House of Lords. It is not democratic in the sense of um, how they are positioned there in the first place. So yes, they do serve a great function and purpose. And we can see through times in past, like, you know, they've done good things, but it's also been exposed that there's been bad things that have have happened as well. But at the same time, it's like, where do we want our politics to be? Where do we want it to go? Um, do we want it to represent the people? And do we think that this current house represents the people's views in the right way? I I take that point. Um, but I think it's good to have an, an unelected part of the legislature. I think for the difficulties and the conflicts that MPs face on a daily basis is how they balance out the views of their constituents with 
and what they might personally think is important for for the nation. So, for example, Brexit, again, was a clear example of that, where some MPs maybe actually might have voted Remain, but their constituents wanted them to vote, um, their constituency voted Leave. And they might think, actually, this is terrible for for society. That might be their own personal opinion. They might think that this is not good for us economically, but then they're, they're now conflicted as to... Should I go with what my constituents want or should I go with what I know maybe to be true, which is this is going to be bad for our economy? The members of the House of Lords don't have that conflict. They can be they can take um, they can take facts at face value and say, well, this is what it says. And I don't need to answer to a constituent, even if I think that they might be wrong in their in, in what they want me mm. to do So that that I think balances it out Because we can have people who are objective They don't necessarily have to You know pander to party lines So that they're re-elected in the next election But they and, do get elected via their party And they do sit but they, on but, they, but they can but they, leave They can, they they can, can become leave, crossbenchers but, some, but the point about independence And like independent scrutiny It can't just be said that it has to be noted that the fact that, you know, they do get elected by a party, they do represent some parties, but then there are some crossbenchers as well. So therefore it, they can leave or be, become independent. But at the same time, some of them do represent the interests of a particular party, which they may do. not be their own. But they view. don't have the fear of deselection. For example, I think this is why I'm going to be very lib dem about this. Mm. I think we all have very different views about the House of Lords, which is the point. Because the views of House of Lords is very polarizing. And I think it's good that we've had this chat, but I think it would be quite interesting to hear what others Mm. think about whether or not we need to get rid of the House of Lords or not. But I think what's more pertinent to us is whether or not we think it should move at us. The yeah, palaces, Palace of Westminster. Oh, well, they all need to move. The place is falling apart. They need to. Everyone needs to get. <laughs> like, everyone, yeah, because everyone's. Just, I don't know why they're taking time. When is it going to happen? Like anyway, I know that's not part of the point, but like they need to leave. Like the shit is leaking. Right. <laughs> but I don't think I don't about yeah. it being moved to York. Um, and how would that work with Black Rod? Like, does he then go? Where does the Queen go? Yeah, does the Queen the... go all the way to York to call Parliament in for screen speech? And then the Black Rod has to she go gets all on the, the Virgin, way to... Virgin train. Um, what someone said to me um, today, and I know that, so make a bit of background to that. So, this is this week the government had been talking about or indicating that it was considering moving the House of Lords to York so that. Um, it can be more in touch with the people, mm-hmm. um, particularly the voters who voted for the Conservatives this this time around, who are in Northern and Midlands constituency. Um, I don't think that, you know, proximity to power does not necessarily mean that you have any influence. So I wouldn't say that because I, for example, live in London and I am close to Westminster or a business is situated in London means that they necessarily have any influence in shaping. So I don't, I don't really see the point if it's like, Oh, to be more in touch with people. Well, actually a lot of people in London still feel out of touch with parliament. But I think the- so maybe it's not about the location, but it's actually the way that it works and the system and how they engage with mm. the average person. But then again, that just shows that the public, do believe that everything is centralised in London. London yeah. makes the decisions that affects the rest of the United Kingdom and is- therefore don't necessarily think about people in the north or, you know, or the industrial towns. But that's the role of thing- MPs. Right? right. That's what MPs should be doing. So this is not, you know, we're not unique in the fact that we have um, our our 
our power situated in a specific area. I mean, they have that in America, there's Washington. And, you know, this this is what happens across the world. But I think it's the role of MPs to ensure that their constituency views are put forward and the role of government to ensure that it listens to what other people, other different, you know, regions in our country. So are you saying that the answer to that, therefore, should be rather than trying to say, okay, we'll move the House of Laws to York, which is going to cause more issues. Mm -hmm. It's more about properly trying to explain to people that actually and be more in touch generally as opposed to making an arbitrary Mm -hmm. move of Mm -hmm. a part of the the palace. Yeah, that's what people find difficult to Mm. understand and to comprehend. I don't think, yeah, I don't think. But I think, do you know what? Actually, I think that moving um, any house to a different region similarly if you move like a big institution to a particular region what you do is you generate more um attraction to the area you attract more the economy will change as well because let's say for example the house of lords moves there's different lobbying groups there's different people that work for the house of lords so all of these civil servants are going to have to relocate as well which changes the demographic of the area which um floods the area or the the area around it with um different opportunities because actually people mm-hmm. are being able are able to see what's going on in the yeah, area like, so they f- they may feel more um connected connect- to, to yeah. Power. yeah and i think i think even if it feels a little bit like to some people that is a bit unnecessary like i think there's a reason that like i work for a magazine that talks about tv but there's a reason why channel 4 is going to open something uh, open like a hub in glasgow and in mm-hmm. leeds like these things are important because one people can start working for those companies and feel like they have a stake in public yeah. service broadcasting mm-hmm. for example and it's kind of, i think it's the same thing with that like people from york can now work go and work in the house of exactly. lords like what and what does that mean for people like when they go out and they talk and they feel more connected to politics yeah. and i think people have felt very disconnected because everything is so centered in london yeah and i, I take your point that there's people we literally have mps from all over the, all yeah, over the country and, and, but yeah. I, I i you can't deny that moving it has an impact even even if yeah. it even if it feels in the grand scheme of things quite minuscule, it's still quite important to people, I think, to see to have that visibility, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and to what extent do we have that level of diversity of staff there as well? So like just as you mentioned and I was saying earlier, like you might have people from York actually or in that vicinity working there, which will answer your point about more people becoming more aware of politics. There's one thing, there is definitely a job for politicians to do way more in engaging the public, but also having people that work in government can mm. also transcend and educate their family members and friends and stuff like that. Yeah. So like demystify things. And I think it's also a point of like, put your money where your mouth is. If you genuinely believe that you want to um, improve uh, the access to Northern regions um, and give them the opportunities that Southern regions have, then you have to do something sometimes that big that proves that you actually believe it rather than just saying it. Yeah, I think also we should we should um, highlight to listeners as well that actually there are some departments who do have offices yeah. around the country. So I know that, for example, Department of Health has mm-hmm. an office in Leeds mm-hmm. um, and they, I don't know all the detail, but you can have a look at that. And they actually employ people in those regions and sometimes they have to commute to Westminster, but that does exist. And there's also an, an element of, you know, some powers are devolved. So, for example, we're expecting yeah. um, regional mayoral elections. Like so, for Manchester. example, like Manchester, yeah. you have a combined authority there and you do have a mayor. And again, it's for how 
and they have specific um, remits that they have um, oversight over and actually maybe sometimes the power that you think Westminster have, they don't have anymore because it's now been devolved to your regional mayor. So um, I think government could do a lot more. And I, what I find um, frustrating with government and, and sometimes with politics is we don't really do a good job of communicating things. Like we don't express ourselves well enough. So mm. a lot of people don't know that these things exist, for yeah. example. And if they knew, maybe they wouldn't necessarily feel too out of touch. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that that's what I'd say. I think we kind of moved on a lot because we're obviously talking about, we're not talking about the House of Lords. Um, and I mentioned earlier, like sort of the Henry, Henry? Henry. Henry. Jesus, the Henry. H factor. Henry. Henry. You can take the Nigerian. You can take the Lagos, but you can't take the Lagos. I'm, out of I'm not from Lagos. Okay, fine. Don't, the Nigerian. Don't slander me. <laughs> you know, you have the sort of the whole Henry the Eighth clause where. You know, whilst the House of Laws can scrutinise stuff. Um, so there's a whole process that the bill needs to go through, goes for the first feeding. Um, I talked about this in the previous episodes. I'm not going to go too much into it, but you've got the first reading where the literature reads it the first time, then the second reading, the debate, the principle of that, then committee, they go through it line by line. Um, and then it goes for report stage and third reading, then it gets a royal assent where the Queen signs it and it becomes law. So a bill can start in House of Commons and it can start in the House of Lords. Anyway, if that process happens in the House of Commons, it goes to the House of Lords and exactly the same process happens again. If, for example, the House of Lords decide to make changes, as we said earlier, like they make amendments and then they can send it to the House of Commons for them to debate those amendments, the House of Commons can send it back and say, actually, we don't really agree. But if that keeps going back and forth, it goes to this thing that we call the ping pong. Mm. And that's when eventually the House of Commons can say, this is actually part of the mandate on which we were elected. So we're going to ignore you and pass it anyway. So I just thought it made sense for me to quickly mention what ping pong, yeah. ping pong. Ping pong. Um, we talked about um, the, the, the role that parliament plays in scrutinising government. So another aspect of that is three select committees, which you haven't um, mentioned. So these are essentially every government department is has a select committee that scrutinizes its work. So these uh, these MPs are elected. They um, they divide the select committees are allocated by parties depending on the election. So this election, the Conservatives will will have the chairmanship of a lot more um, select committees, and um, these are elected. The chairs are elected by Parliament itself. Um, so essentially, this committee will scrutinize the work of that department. They will call the Secretary of State in and question them on some specific issues. And sometimes there's a, you know, specific um, policy area that they want to focus on. Um, also, there's something called, so for every department, you know, Department of Work and Pensions, Department of Health, there is a select committee that does that. There's also another select committee called the Liaison Committee. So this is um, formed or comprised by the heads of all the different, by the chairs of all the different committees that exist. So I think there are 11 or 12 mm. chairs. So all this is like a super committee. They all come together and then they, what they do is that they call the prime minister to account. So subsequently, Boris Johnson will be appearing before that committee, the liaison committee, and Theresa May did as well. I think they, oh, they do that. Quarter- and Yvette Cooper's Yeah, cash. I think they do it quarterly. I'm not mm. entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so the prime minister has to answer to, to those chairs. So they will talk, they will go 
and talk about a range of issues, um, probably talk about each different committee and policy. So, for example, they might talk about health. They will question the prime minister on the government's agenda around um, housing, for example. They will question the prime minister on the government's agenda around um on you know the economy and the treasury so this is another way that parliament scrutinizes government and you can watch these select committee proceedings if you want to see how they how they are run so um they also invite sometimes members of the public to come and give evidence and industry where, expert on yeah. specific things <clears throat> mm-hmm. that informs their recommendations to the yeah. government so it's not just parliament talk mps talking to each other yeah mm-hmm. so they actually listen and yeah in, and yeah. if they feel that you as a member of pub- of the public has has a unique insight into an area, they will probably invite you to come and speak to that committee. Mm. Um, the committees also tend to run inquiries on specific areas that they think, you know, that areas of concern. So um, I think, I'm trying to think of one. There was one recently, the only one I can remember is the DCMS one and immersive like technologies. Inquiry. Oh yeah, there was one. Like on yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, fake news. Jeremy Kyle. Yeah, the there was that CV. one. Yeah. And then from that inquiry, so the inquiry goes on for however long it needs to go on for, they publish a report and set out some recommendations for government and for that specific department that they are shadowing its work. Um, and sometimes government government actually has to respond to that select committee's recommendation, yeah. ha- have to say, come out with some, you know, write to the committee and say, we've, t- we've read your recommendation and this is what we want to do, whether we want to take it on board or we don't want to take that on board. Um, and so this is um, another way that actually that parliament scrutinizes the work of government so not just the chamber but actually behind closed doors which they're not closed anymore because you can watch them on tv um and online um parliament parliament live um so yeah if you want to find out about how that works do 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 check it out so you can go and check all of that out on parliament website um but i do just want to quickly wrap up what we have discussed because it's been quite a lot in such a yeah. um quite a lot in such a short space of time university so, <laughs> university lecture it's seminar. True, right <laughs> so we've spoken about what is parliament we've spoken about the role of parliament and we've also spoken about how parliament scrutinizes the government we've spoken about question time urgent questions and we've also just spoken about spoken about um select committees and joint committees as well. We've also spoken about how you can make and change laws. Um, yeah, and we've also put in there little different ways in which what is current affairs, basically? What's happening? What are we talking about at the moment? What is what is the, the world talking about in terms of parliament and the UK parliament um, with this new government as well? So thank you all for listening. This has been the Consensus Podcast. And um, if you want to follow us, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore consensus underscore and on Instagram, the underscore consensus underscore using the hashtags, hashtag consensus podcast and hashtag consensus podcast B2B. This is a series of back to basic um, information and podcasts where we're going to just talk to you about politics and break it down bit by bit. So thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.